Okay, everybody, welcome to catechism class. Um, let me open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we bless your name and thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in Holy Scripture. And we thank you that uh, you have not left us in darkness. Uh, you've not left us in our sins. That you sent your son, the gift of your son, uh, into this world to achieve the righteousness by which we will stand before you on the day of judgment with full confidence that all of the demands of your law have been answered by our surety, by our, our federal representative, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that by his cross we are forgiven of all of our sins and are accepted in your sight as righteous, and not because of anything done in us or works done by us, but because of Christ alone. And we look to him and no other as our Savior. I pray that you'd bless us as we think about these most important truths of what your revelation to man in Scripture uh, says about who you are, who we are, why the world is what it is, and how we can be saved, and how we can show gratitude to you by living a godly life. And I pray that you bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now, I know that some of you, um, actually I've actually heard some of you, uh, say the entire catechism um, from memory, the whole thing, the 107 questions and answers. So I know some of you really know it well. Uh, and others um, have not memorized the whole thing yet. Raise your hand if you have not memorized the whole catechism yet. Okay, most people. Mo most people. Okay. So that's what I want to work on is I want to be real aggressive this time. We're going to do 10 questions every week. Okay? So that should get us through uh, about question 90. And I want to encourage you to um, sweat bullets to, to learn it. Okay? I really want to encourage you. Learn the catechism over these next two months, okay? Because knowing that body of Christian doctrine um, will pay dividends for the rest of your life. It really will. And as you see in these little books, if you want to open to the first page, and you see the catechism questions and the answers there, but then you also see the, the scripture proofs that they added, and those are real important too. I would encourage you as you go through and, and memorize these um, to read the scripture proofs. You don't necessarily need to memorize all of them. Um, but if you're, if you're that zealous, go for it. Um, I've been reading a, a bi biography of Benjamin Warfield, and um, he, he and some other members of his family memorized the whole larger catechism and all the scripture proofs of the larger catechism. <laughs> it's like, wow. And Warfield himself recited this whole thing from memory when he was six years old. Uh, so he was pretty, he was pretty into it. They didn't have, they didn't have a, whole lot of, a whole lot of distractions back then, but... This is really, really important stuff. So what I'd like to do is at the beginning of each meeting, I want to read through out loud together the first, the first 10 questions and answers. Next time we'll read through questions 11 through 20. The next time, 21 through 30. And at the end of each lesson, I'll, I'll try to talk also about what, the, what is being taught in these questions and answers. We're not going to spend tons of time drilling it. I want to talk to you about what these answers and questions mean, the theology behind them, what the scriptures say about them. And then towards the end, we'll try to do as much as we can, as far as we can go uh, together. Okay? Does that sound good? Okay. Raise your hand if you have memorized the whole thing at some time in your life or not. Or if you, if you have. Okay. All right. Only three, actually four. Maria, come on, raise that hand, baby. There you go. There you go. What's question 106 in the answer? Yeah. Okay. So we need to work out the, the rust and some of the, the kinks along the way here. But let's go ahead and let's read these 10 questions and answers together. Question one. What is the chief end of man? Together. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
Question two, what rule has God given to direct us? How we may glorify and enjoy him? The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. What do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Question four, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Question five, are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. Question six, how many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. How does God execute his decrees? God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. What is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. How did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. Okay, now everybody shut your books. We worked on those a lot the last couple summers. I just want to see if, if, um, if y'all, most of you are the same ones that came the last couple summers, so let's see how well, how well you guys know. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What rule has God given to direct us? How we may glorify and enjoy him? Okay, what do the scriptures principally teach? Okay, that's how the whole rest of the catechism is divided into those two things. There's two things the Bible teaches us what we're supposed to believe about God and what we're supposed to do in our lives. Are those good questions? It's good stuff to know. And you think about all of man's religions, they all answer those questions very differently uh, than the truth. Okay, so question three divides the rest of the catechism. So the next questions are going to be about what man is to believe about God. That's why question four is, what is God? And then the, uh, when it gets to question, I believe it's 40, it changes to um, what is the duty which God requires of man? Obe- the duty which God requires of man is obedience to his revealed will. And then it goes into the Ten Commandments. Okay, so let's uh, do question four. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. How does God execute his decrees? God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. What is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing 
by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. How did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. And since they, this is not, that's not the best place to stop. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. How many of you heard the debate that uh, John O'Rourke and I did with the uh, provisionists? Okay. Did, did you catch, um, I quoted the answer to question 11 to him? Because someone asked them, what is providence? And they just massacred the, the answer. And I just was like, okay, the, the Westminster divines need to be heard in this debate. Okay, it, 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 the works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. It's not God trying real hard to steer things a certain way so that they might or might not work out the way he wants them to. I mean, that's basically what they said. That's basically what they said, and that is just not the case. Okay, so open back up your catechisms. Let's look at question number one, and let's talk about the, the theology of what the Westminster Confession says here. Now, obviously, there's a lot in these first ten questions, but I think it's important to, to study um, the questions and the answers and look at the scriptures and look at um, how they answer these. What is the chief end of man? Or some, some say, what is man's chief end? What, is, what do they mean by the word end? Purpose. purpose. Right. What is the purpose of man's existence? What's, what's the point uh, for which we are here? Okay. Uh, how, how do you do you know how, how do other religions answer that question? How how does uh, how do the Hindus answer that question? What is man's chief end or purpose? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Try to do try to do better this time. Um, and what in, in the uh, Hindu faith? What is the duty that God requires of man? Should should we help people if they're suffering or are in need? No. No. That's right. You're interfering with karma. So you have a, a one religion answers that as man's chief end is to be utterly self-centered and do everything you do for yourself. So maybe you'll come back as something better next time around. And your duties toward man are you don't have any. Okay? That's why India as a country is destroyed, totally destroyed country, is because of their religious worldview. Uh, they, number one, they don't think the universe is even there. Um, does God have a plan? Does he have decrees that he's trying to accomplish? How does he execute those decrees? In the works of? So is the universe there? Does it exist? How do we know that? Because God told us it does, right? What's the first verse of the Bible say? Created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth are there. Okay, we're not hooked up to the matrix. Have you ever heard people say, we don't know for sure if we're, we, you might be hooked up to the matrix and you just don't realize it. I mean, all of you might just be a computer program and I actually think I'm here and, and I'm really not or you're not there. Okay, these questions answer and refute all of man's religions. They, they refute all of them. Okay, so man's chief purpose is what? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Okay, so the purpose for which God made man was ultimately to glorify him. Okay, we're here for the glory of God. What is glory? It's kind of like, uh, you know, I try to think of it in terms of weight, substance. Mm -hmm. So we, we are pointing to God and we're pointing up everything that's true about God and that makes him more known. That's, that's right. That's part of the 
Yes, yes. That the um, the word, the Greek word, I remember writing a flashcard when I first started taking Greek in seminary, you write a flashcard for the word doxa. And you, the three terms that you can translate it into English are majesty, glory, and fame. I thought, wow. When God destroyed all the, the gods of, of Egypt, when he did, showed his, his superiority to all of them, he said he was doing that to make a name for himself. Now, what would we think of a human being? What, what do you think of a, of a person who devotes all their, their life to making a name for themselves? Right. Is that, that's sinful, isn't it? Okay, because what, what do we have that in the ultimate sense we can take credit for? <laughs> Say that louder. Our sin. Yeah, right. What, <laughs> in terms of things we might be glorified. Of course, the world does glorify sin. We have a world that praises the wicked now. Um, but, yeah, we can't take credit for anything that we're ultimately good at. We're here is that people would know that God is real and that he's glorious and that he's powerful, that he's the one that made all this. And we want the world to see us and we want them to see in us God changes people and makes them not self-centered. And he makes them actually live their life for other people and care more about others and care more about obeying God than they do about uh, furthering their own name or their own projects or, or anything like that. So, yes, sir. Wasn't that uh, Jonathan Edwards who said you bring nothing to salvation except the sin that makes it necessary? Yep. Yeah, that's your contribution to your salvation. <laughs> yeah, I remember Michael Horton's book, uh, Putting Amazing Back into Grace. He shows an illustration and it says, your contribution to your salvation. It's a guy standing on a two-ton weight with a bar on top of it and it's him pulling up on it while he's standing on it. But that's a good illustration. Um, you don't contribute anything um, except the sin that made it necessary. So ultimately, man is here for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, you see the passage there cited. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so from, from morning to evening, that's what we're here for, is for people to know that God is real um, and for him to know that we acknowledge him in all our ways uh, so that he will direct our paths and, and make them straight. Okay. Okay, question two. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Um, just let's say the answer together. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Now, who can recite from memory 2 Timothy 3.16? What does that say? All Good job. Very good. Did you hear that? All scripture is God-breathed or given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God would be equipped and thoroughly furnished for every good work. Okay, what is unique about scripture from anything else that exists in the entire created cosmos? It's God-breathed. That's right. It's alive. It's, it's the living, I mean, you can go on and on and on, but the, ultimately, the only source of the voice of God is scripture. That is the only source that the Christian church has today of the voice of God speaking directly is scripture. Okay, so if someone stands up in the church and has a, has a word from God, what, what had better come out of their mouth next? Scripture. Yeah. Anyone here ever listen to Justin Peters? Justin Peters Ministries? He's really good at kind of exposing the word of faith stuff like the Benny Hinn. And I always think of Justin Peters is a brilliant guy and, and a, has, has ministered to me greatly, but I always think... He picks on the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> this is just so easy to, to pick on the Kenneth Copelands and the Benny Hens. He did this video. It was just awesome. 
because he was trying to sound like a charismatic, and he said, I wanted to let everyone know today that I had a prophetic revelation from God this morning. And then he looks up a passage and reads it. And then the Holy Spirit impressed something else upon me. And he goes to another passage. And then God like opened the heavens and shined this light into my heart and gave me this prophetic word. And he looks up another passage and reads it. And it was just glorious because that's right. That's the only thing that we've got that's God breathed. Okay. At the end of the day, um, we don't have anything else that we can go to. It's the only thing that we've got that's God breathed. And that's over against primarily who? who did, why did the Westminster Divines put this that way with the word only in this answer? Why did they put it like that? To, count, to counter who, primarily? Rome. Okay? Rome doesn't believe that. That the only source of God-breathed, inspired of God's voice is Scripture. What else do they think? Where else does God speak, do they think? I'm sorry? In, in tradition, what they... Councils, popes, all that kind of stuff. Okay? So it's very important that we know our own confessional standards because they're just following scripture. Commit us to all five Reformation solas. And what are those five solas in any order? Sola fide, which is what? Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, and solidia, to God alone be the glory. Okay? Okay, very good. So that is the only rule to direct us how we're supposed to glorify and enjoy him. Okay, very, very important. Um, you know, I was going, been going through the confession with a new members class, and we went through the section on good works, and the opening line of the chapter on good works says, good works are only such as God hath commanded in his word, and may not be considered to be anything upon any pretense of any zeal or anything else thought of that way. And they wrote it that way to take shots at things like monast- monasticism. What, what is monasticism? Yeah. Yep. That's right. Go off into the into the desert. Go live in a cloister. Go live in a room and stare at your navel all day long and hope that you're going to heaven. And when the reformers discovered the gospel, they got rid of all that and said that's self-centered and that doesn't count as a good work because in Scripture, what is the primary arena in which we are sanctified? Is I'm sorry. If yeah, other human beings, right? I mean, think about six out of the ten commandments have to do with what? Your neighbor. Okay, it's hard to be sanctified if you're never around anybody. If you're always out in the desert, wandering around with with, uh, um, uncomfortable clothing and sleeping out in the cold. Okay, that's a self-centered way of life. And Colossians chapter 2 addresses that directly. and says those kinds of harsh practices don't actually sanctify you. They're of no value in the sanctification process. So the scriptures are the only source of how we glorify God and enjoy him. All right, what do the scriptures principally teach? Let's answer this one. The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Okay, so those are the two primary things that are revealed to us in scripture because when the fall happened, man lost his knowledge of those things, didn't he? Okay, and that's why, what is it, what characterizes man-made religions? How are they all similar? That's right. What was that, Julia? They're all man-centered, right? They're all works-based. Okay. They, they also uh, deify and, and worship things that are part of the created order, whether they're idols or, you know, we have more sophisticated idols when it, like money, possessions, and, you know, career, whatever. So human beings don't have a right knowledge of God anymore, and they don't know what they're supposed to be doing either. And that's why God has to tell us that stuff. He's got to reveal that to us, or, or we're not going to know. 
All right, so the first part of the, of the catechism is about what man is supposed to believe about God. Question four, what is God? Let's answer this. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Okay, now there are very long books uh, that go through each one of those attributes. And each one of those is very, very important. Okay, God, first of all, is a spirit. What does that mean? That's right. God is not material. He, he's not part of the created order. And that's why the essence of idolatry is attaching religious devotion or affection to things that are in, cre- in creation. Okay, whether it's a person or an object or things like that. We're not supposed to do that. So God is not made of matter. He's not um, material in nature. He created the material world. He's not part of the material world. Okay? He's also infinite. What does that mean? That's right. He, he has no limitations. He cannot be circumscribed. Okay? You can't say, there's all of God right there. Okay? He's also eternal. What does that mean? That's right. You ever heard the argument, um, well, if God made the world, then, then who made God? Right? Bertrand Russell, one of the most brilliant philosophers, mathematicians of the 20th century, said that's why he couldn't believe in God. Because if God, if you're going to say everything that, that exists has a cause, then God must have a cause, and what, what caused God? And of course, the Christian doctrine of God is that God is eternal. Okay? God didn't have a beginning, God has always existed. Okay? So he's eternal, and he's unchangeable. What does that mean? He doesn't grow, he doesn't learn. That's right. He's the same today, tomorrow, forever. Yeah. Yep. Did y'all did y'all catch some of the answers? And, and we did the debate. I, I asked the, the one guy. The one guy I knew was an open theist. I knew he didn't. He believed that God doesn't know the future. And I asked, "Does God know the future in exhaustive detail?" And he hemmed and hawed and basically said no. And then we asked, "Does God ever learn anything?" And they hemmed and hawed and, and basically said, "Yeah, God acquires knowledge." Okay. Here's the thing: God does not increase or decrease in any way. He doesn't grow in his knowledge or decrease in his knowledge. He's never ignorant. He never comes to know anything, uh, and he never forgets anything. So God is unchangeable in his uh, being. He is, not, he is immutable in that sense. Okay? In his being, he's, he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in all these ways. In his being, in his wisdom, God doesn't become more wise or less wise. In his power, like could God create a, a multitude of universes this big, all day, every day, would he ever get tired? Or be depleted of any energy? No, not at all. God is the fountain of all being, and he is the one in whom everything else consists and holds together. Okay? And he's also infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his holiness. I always think of, when you think of the attributes of God, that's the one that gets us in the most trouble right there. Why? Because we're not holy. Yeah. And if we appear before him in our sins, that holiness is going to destroy us. That's why R.C. Sproul's most famous book is what? The Holiness of God. Okay? And I heard him say his two most popular and most famous, most best-selling books he ever wrote were The Holiness of God and then Chosen by God. And Sproul told the story, I cannot tell you, how I've lost track of how many people who have come to me and said, the holiness of God was the most life-changing book I've ever read. I never thought of God that way. It just brought this glorious, incredible vision of God. And I never thought of him as so holy. And that's why we need Christ and everything else. But your book, Chosen by God, I really don't like that one. <laughs> and Sproul says, Sproul says, I say the same thing to all of them. If you didn't like Chosen by God, 
It's because you didn't understand the holiness of God. Okay? And he says, he says I, I, speaking at a big conference, and I'd like to give a word of pastoral advice to those who enjoy the holiness of God but have a problem with the sovereignty of God. Tough. <laughs> like yes sir that's right okay so he's infinite in his holiness and that's a problem that's why jesus had to suffer the way he did uh, for us to be able to go to heaven and he's also infinite eternal unchangeable in his justice can god simply decide to forgive us and just pronounce it done what why can't he do that that's right his holiness has been violated he put a covenant in place a covenant of life a covenant of obedience that covenant has got to be satisfied, both in its positive requirements of a perfect obedience, but also the, the penalty, the sanction. What did God tell Adam would happen? In the day you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. So for us to be redeemed, what does a new covenant representative have to do for us? Die, and not just die, but conquer death by rising from the dead too. And that's why it's not just, one of my kids asked me a very good question one time. They asked me, why, why doesn't Jesus have to go to hell forever? Um, so that we can go to heaven, because that would have been the penalty. Jesus is also what? He's not just man, he's also what? God. And therefore, he can not only take the infinite debt load of sin, he can actually, in a sense, absorb it and destroy it altogether. Uh, I'm sorry? And that's right. It was impossible for, for death to keep him in the grave, and he took the full, the full wrath of God, and remember his final words from the cross? It is finished. Okay, it's over, it's paid for. He was taken down, put in the tomb, dead, and then rose from the dead. And 2 Timothy chapter 1 says that Christ has abolished death. Abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. So, so he's that in his justice and also in his goodness and in his truth. Okay, and that's one thing. Um, we sent out an email about the conference coming up over there at Meadowview. And I was talking to Rick Light, and um, I'm going to be doing a couple of the, I'll be doing the Bible hour there. And he wants me to speak on the need to stand firm and stand immovable and stand fast in the faith. And so that's a great theme. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his truth, right? So no matter how loony our culture gets, does the Bible still say the same things? It does. And no matter how many elders, pastors, denominations, or whatever start moving away, um, God's truth is utterly unchangeable, completely unchangeable. And God has not moved at all. Did you know God's opinions of every sin he's ever condemned in his word haven't changed at all? At all. So I think that's a really, really important point. I'm going to really try to hammer that one. Okay, question five. Are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. Okay? What did the people of Israel have to say together as a family every single day? What did they call it? The what? The Shema. Okay? Shema is Hebrew for hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, not many, he's, he's one. We are the strictest form of monotheism possible. Okay, very, very important. Now we're going to look at some passages here. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Will somebody volunteer to look up Exodus 3.14 for me, please? Will someone look that up, please? Exodus 3.14. Thank you, Neil. And would someone look up John chapter 8, verse 56 through 59? Yes, Sarah, thank you. 
And as soon as you've got it, would you read it there, uh, Neil? Exodus 3.14. Okay. Now, Moses at the burning bush there in Exodus, God tells him, I want you to go tell the people of Israel, I want you to, to tell them that I'm coming to, to get you out of there, and I want you to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he asks him, what should I tell the people of Israel if they ask who sent me? And how does God reveal his name? I am. I am. And what was a really good illustration of that, that Moses was there looking at? The bush was burning. What was not happening to the bush? It's not being consumed by the fire. It must have been just an incredible sight to look at, a bush on fire, but it's not wrinkling up the leaves or, or consuming the bush at all. So God is saying, I am who I am. Now, Sarah, would you read John eight fifty six through 59? Okay, now did you hear what Jesus said in John 8, 58 to his Jewish opponents? Okay, he told them, you guys are not the children of Abraham. Um, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He was looking forward to my coming, and you guys aren't doing that. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? And then he says, before Abraham was, what does he say? I am. But what is Jesus claiming there directly? He's God. He's claiming to be the voice from the burning bush. He's claiming to be that being, that God. And what does verse 59 tell you? Did they understand that that was what he meant? What did they do next? They picked up stones to throw at him because they knew what he was saying. He was saying that he was God. Now, someone look up Isaiah 44, verse 6. Someone look up Isaiah 44, 6. Anyone? Anyone? Thank you. Isaiah 44, 6. And then Revelation. I'll, I'll read Revelation 1, 17. Revelation 1, 17. Okay, Isaiah 44, 6. Would you read that for us when you get it? Thank you. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Okay, so who is talking there? Yahweh, the one true God. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Now, listen to Revelation 1, 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Who is that talking in Revelation 117? That's Jesus. Who, what is he claiming to be there? God, in the fullest sense of that word. So we believe in the full deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing is, we could spend the rest of the Wednesdays in this month just looking at passages on the deity of Christ. Okay? Now, turn to Acts chapter 5, if you would, please. Acts chapter 5, about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5, here you have the, one of the first wonderful cases of church discipline. It was a real short case. Acts 5, 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit 
and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your, in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. God. To lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to who? God. God. How many of you have ever talked to a Jehovah's Witness? Okay, Jehovah's Witnesses think that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but is an impersonal force. Okay, look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Turn over to Acts 13, beginning at verse 1. Acts 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, quote, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Okay, does something, can a tree talk? Can a rock talk? Can you lie to drywall. You can only lie to a person, right? And only a person can speak. Okay, we believe in the full deity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, it took Christians a while to, to hammer all this out in a way that, that took into account everything that Scripture says about it, but it's summarized beautifully um, in question six. Look at it again. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Okay, one, one more. I can't, can't uh, leave this one out. Look at John chapter 20. Remember Thomas? What did Thomas say after the disciples told him, we've seen him, he's alive. What did he say? Yeah, if I can't put my hands in the, in the holes in his wrists or his side, I will not believe. Okay, so he was... Uh, he was the hardcore science guy. Okay? Now, John 20, verse 27. And he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Okay? So he, he uses both of the terms, Lord, kurios, Lord, and theos, God, to refer to Jesus. He calls him my Lord and my God. Okay? A lot more passages. In fact, I keep lying to you. Look, look back at John five seventeen, John five seventeen and 18. Now, this is where Jesus heals the man at the, uh, the pool. Remember the guy that wanted to get put down in the pool when someone would always get in front of him? And he'd been sitting there lame for 38 years. And Jesus walks over to him, take up your mat and walk. And what did the Pharisees do? They, want, they wanted to kill him for that. They wanted to kill him for telling that guy to pick up something that was too heavy on the Sabbath day. Now, look, he starts talking to them, but look at what happens in, in verse um, 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself what? Equal with God. Okay, so very, very important text there. There are many, 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 many more um, that we could look at. But the doctrine of the Trinity, the tri-personality of God, is a, is a doctrine that's taught all the way through the word of God from the beginning to the end. So we don't have time to go into all of it. I want to get through the rest of these. Look at question number seven in the Catechism. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, 
whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Okay, now let's see Ephesians 1.11 there. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works most things after the counsel of his will. <laughs> Big things after the counsel of his will. Okay, <clears throat> I can't help this. Look, look at Proverbs chapter 16.33, please. Proverbs 16.33. And I want to ask you a question as we read this. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's, what? Every decision is from the Lord. What do you think the purpose of God saying that is? Why would he tell us that? So you know if you throw the dice, it's always going to come up the way God wants it to? Is that, a, is that a significant or an insignificant thing in the grand scheme of things? It's pretty insignificant, isn't it? It's a classic argument from the lesser to the greater. If, if every decision of every throw of every lot is from the Lord, what, is that, what does it logically follow is also from the Lord? Everything. How about sparrows? I, I asked the guys in the debate. Um, Jesus said, not a sparrow can fall to the ground apart from your father's will. I said, does it... Do you think that God's will also encompasses the deaths of robins, blue jays, cardinals, and eagles? Or does God have to literally spell out every single thing that he's sovereign over for you to believe it? Why does God tell us that sparrows don't fall to the ground apart from his will? Why did he tell us that? That's right. It's insignificant. Who cares? It doesn't seem like it means anything. And one of my favorite, the the number of hairs on your head, or lack thereof, is also ordained by God. And we can also know for sure that there is a purpose to all of it, right? Right, J. Mike? That's right. That's right. There's, there's a reason that we're bald, and it's a good reason, <clears throat> even if it hasn't been disclosed to us yet. <laughs> okay. So you can really know what a burnt scalp feels like. Yeah. If you don't know what that feels like, that was, when I was 18 years old, I shaved my head, shaved it with a razor, because it was so, it was like 98 degrees every day. Didn't even occur to me in the, de- in the middle of summer, that my head was going to get sunburned, and I, I, I felt like I was going to die for the next three days. And I looked like leprosy a week later. It was all peeling off, and it was horrible, yeah. So thank, thank the Lord for your hair, if you have any, on top of your head. Okay, question number eight. How does God execute his decrees? Answer, God executeth his decrees in the works of creation and providence. Okay, what is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Christian doctrine of creation, you guys have heard me talk about this a lot. Um, It's very important to know that everything that exists, everything in in space-time, matter, and energy came into being out of nothing and was created by God out of nothing and is sustained by him. Okay, so God, in, in the Mormon religion, how, how many of you have ever studied Mormon theology, the, the theology of the Mormon church? Okay, what, what is God in Mormonism? Deified man. That's right. He is a deified human being. Seriously, God, they think God is six feet tall, weighs about 200 pounds, and lives uh, with his harem of wives on a planet revolving around a distant star called Kolob. That's spelled K-O-L-O-B. That's what they think God is. God is a dude. He's a man. Okay? They think God is not the creator, but he is the organizer of existing matter. Okay? Is that pretty different from what scripture teaches and what we would believe about God? Okay? So this doctrine of creation is unique to the Christian faith. It's unique to, to biblical revelation. 
God made everything that exists out of nothing. There was nothing there. And so every single molecule, every atom, every, every single bit and part of the entire created cosmos, including those clusters of galaxies that are hundreds of millions of light years away, are, were created by God out of nothing, and he holds them all together by his power. Every single moment that they exist. Has that ever terrified you how big the universe is if you've ever studied it? It's like, wow. And why, why did God do all that? Why did he make something so vast and so expansive and put us and be so concerned with us on this teensy tiny little blue dot around an insignificant star? Why, why did he do all that? I'm sorry? That's right, because it glorifies his name. When in doubt, when people ask you any question, why did God do this, why did God do that? Because it glorifies his name. That's all there is to it. Why, why, why would God do this? Why would he allow that? Because it glorifies his name. I think, John, didn't we get to say that to at least a couple of questions? Oh, yeah. Why would God do this? Because it glorifies his name. <laughs> why else do you think he does it? Okay, how did God create man? Created man, male and female, after his own image, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. And who, who would ever have thought that we need to put a sub-question under there? How many genders are there? There are two genders, male and female. <laughs> yeah, two, there's only two. There's male and there's female. What does it mean that man is in God's image, that man's made in, in the image of God? That's part of it. But what makes, it, what makes man different from all the other soulish creatures? Because like do, dogs and cats have, have an immaterial part to them too, but we're different how? How are we different from all the other creatures? Because what? God made them their own what? Person. That's right. We are, we are thinking, reasoning persons as opposed to what, what an animal is. What, what else? What else does man have? Yes, Malachi? Because we're in the image of God. Yeah, the, what, what I'm asking is what does that mean? We have a soul. That's right. We have a soul that will live forever somewhere. There's, okay. There's the communicable attributes that we can commune with God in a different way than really the rest of creation. Right. That we can love Yes. Communicable attributes are those that, that also equals the humans. Yes, that's right. So the, like, his omnipresence and omniscience, omnipresence are not communicable. Right. But love and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. in some way are Right. Can Think about, think about some other ways that we're also different from, from animals. Do animals have the ability to think abstractly or communicate in the way that humans do? No. They can't. Okay? Now, language is something that's unique to human beings, right? Only, only human beings have languages. Could um, the smartest, best-trained gorilla write a symphony? Okay, no matter how hard you work, you wouldn't be able to do that, right? Okay, it's real important. How many of you have ever seen the video of the cat cherto? The little cat. They got this little cat that put it by a piano and recorded it messing around. And some guy took a video of that and made it into this symphony. And it is seriously one of the lamest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it is ser- and the people in the audience are just like, oh, the cat wrote this symphony. It's like, no, it was scratching its head on the keys. It wasn't playing music for crying out loud. And it's just, it's the worst song I've ever heard. It's like worse than, uh, worse than Bella Bartok. 
Okay. Anyone here listen to Bartok? Not voluntarily. That's the yeah. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. Yep. And so we differ. We differ from animals in that way, and um, that's an, I think a really important thing, especially for um, for children to, to learn, especially if they've been exposed to a lot of our culture and society. They need to know. One of the first things they need to know is that they are not animals. Like human beings, we are not animals. We are images of God. And that's why, if you kill an image of God, what has to happen if there is justice in your society? Death penalty. That's right. Because God identifies with man in a special way, in a way that he doesn't identify with with animals. Because we're made in his image, um, and we have the capacity for communion with him. Okay, very good. So we'll we'll stop there. Anyone have any questions or, or comments or thoughts? So, all right, let's, let's drill through them one more time without the catechism, and next time we're going to do 11 through 20, okay? What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. What do the scriptures principally teach? Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. It is being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. How does God execute his decrees? God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. What is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. How did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. And then we'll just get the last one there. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Very good. Very good. Thank you, guys. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this group and for giving us scripture, for revealing yourself to us, what we're supposed to believe about you and what duty you require of us. And we're so thankful for the revelation you have made to us of the gospel, of how to be saved and how to be forgiven and how to know that we have eternal life as our present possession. And it's because it doesn't depend on our faithfulness or our goodness or our righteousness or our works, but solely upon Christ who entered into that broken covenant of works that was made with Adam and all of us and has fulfilled it perfectly. And we receive those benefits by faith in him alone and by trusting in him and, and no other. Help us to glorify you in our conversation. I pray you bless the activities this evening. And I thank you so much for every person who's here. I pray for um, for uh, Corinne and for Hannah who are with child and pray your blessing upon them. Pray for uh, Sydney who's not here and her unborn child and pray that you would 
save and, and preserve those souls. And we pray that you would save all the children in our church. And we pray that you would use us to shine your light to others, that we would be courageous, that we would have no fear, uh, and that we would love you every day, and that we would read your word every day, and that we would be a people characterized by humility and prayer. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.